in Yorktown to consider giving of their time and their talent to come and join us and spend a year. And I want to recognize one couple in particular that has done exactly that since a year ago. And we have now just as of this week or last week, have been here one full year actually holding worship services, though we didn't officially launch till September. And uh, we've had one couple that has been here that whole time, and, and uh, as within the family, my family, um, I'm, I'm recognizing both, but I also recognize that it was mostly Kimberly. So, right, Brian? <laughs> Uh, Brian and Kimberly vote. They're right here, and I asked to make sure they were here. They've been here a year because they've been getting our first impressions ministry underway, and that's one of the ministries that you only notice if it's not running well, okay? I mean, it's parking people out in the rain. It's making sure we have coffee. It's counting the offering. It's taking the offering. It's all the stuff, the greeters, the welcome desk, pretty much everything that makes you feel welcome when you first get here. So that's why it's first impressions. But uh, really, guys, I am super grateful for your service. God has opened up the opportunity for them to go and do that and oversee first impressions in Yorktown. So they live like five minutes from the Yorktown campus. And so they've been driving over here, uh, helping us get underway. And I'm really grateful. All right. Let's continue on with our series in Genesis. And uh, I want to... Uh, let you know that I really enjoy fishing. Now, guys who are really serious about fishing here, like Keith, will chuckle a little at that because really I enjoy fishing when the weather's nice. But uh, regardless, I do enjoy fishing. And uh, we had a couple of warm days a week or so ago. Man, I was at Bass Pro Shop. I'm restocking my tackle box, getting the line restrung on my fishing poles. I mean, I am ready to go because I love to be out when it's nice and warm and, you know, all of that. But one part about fishing that's annoying, and that is when you're out in your boat, and I just got a little John boat, so it maybe is even worse, but uh, you got the, the trolling motor down and you're driving along and the wind starts blowing. And off to one side you go and off to the other side you go or you can't make any headway because it's blowing against you or it's blowing from behind you and you can't slow down enough to fish where you want to. Wind is a pain when you're fishing. So we have figured out things to do to make sure that doesn't become a problem. So the pros uh, have these big fancy, you know, $60,000 bass boats, you know, and they've got prongs on the back that are hydraulic and they just push a button and they go down and lock themselves in or they have a trolling motor that's got like an automatic thing so you just kind of tell it what direction you want to go and it just keeps you going there no matter what the wind does to you and um, I'm a little more low tech than that I just got a big steel thing on the end of a rope and uh, so when I want to stop I pick up my anchor by the rope and I swing it over the side, being careful not to get myself off balance and making sure my foot's not tangled somewhere in the rope and down it goes, clunk, and it, till it finally gets all stuck in the muck and then I can stay where I am until I have to leave and then I drag it back up and get all the slime all over my hands and all that, you know, it's just so horrible. I know you feel terrible for me, but... Um, the anchor keeps me from drifting when it's windy. That'll be the theme for today, okay? 
I want to give your attention as we think through some more about the life of Jacob, the fact that God's character is our anchor. We're going to come around to that again in a little bit, but I want to go back to Genesis. And I want to spend a few minutes. We're going to be in chapter 31. Pastor Sean took us through 29 and half of 30 last week. I'm going to eventually get on to finishing up chapter 31. But I want to remind you of a couple of things, first of all, as we think about Jacob's life. As I have said from the beginning of this series here, my intention is to help you not figure out how do I discover God's will for my life so I can be fulfilled, but how do I discover my place in the plan of God and the purpose of God that he is working out in the world today. God's intention is to call out people from every tribe, tongue, and nation for his name and fame and glory and to have worshipers from around and across the globe Someday together in heaven, worshiping him. That's God's main intention. That's God's primary goal in this uh, life for us, is that we be part of the process of calling out worshipers for the name and the glory of God. There are a lot of things that come into our life that sometimes we think they're going to cause trouble for that plan. I want to remind you and encourage you today that there's, there's nothing that can do that. So I want to start back at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 12. We're not going to turn there, but I can remind you of it. It's where Abraham got the first promise from God. And I want to say to you, physical circumstances cannot deter God's promise. Abraham was called by God, said, I want you to leave your country, get up from your kin, leave them, take off, get to a country. I'll let you know when you get there. Just start walking. And Abram did. And he was there some time. And finally, God said, okay, you're here. Look around. This is going to be the place, the physical land, the physical place where your physical descendants are going to settle. And in that promise, there was promise of a blessing and a seed And he would become a father of a multitude of nations. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you'll have. And yet he had no descendant. And so there were a couple of times you may recall in Abram's life when he tried to figure out, well, maybe I need to be doing something more here because God said I'm going to have descendants and I don't have any yet. So I'll, how about my, the servant of my house, the chief servant, uh, Lord, that's, a, that's customary. I can adopt him, make him my son. Maybe he's the one. And God said, nope, he's not the one. It's going to be someone from your own body. A little while went on and Sarai said, we're still not having kids. Take Hagar, take my handmaiden. We, we see that happen a lot, right? Pastor Sean talked about it last week with the, the, the uh, handmaids of both Leah and Rachel, right? It never works out, but mankind kept doing it. And uh, so early on, they never learned the lesson. And Abram went ahead and had uh, a child by Hagar. And God said, that's not the one. So years and years later, when... Abram is 100, and Sarah is 90. God comes to Abraham and says, your wife's going to have a baby. Everybody reacts just like you'd react. If at 90 years old someone came and said to you, 
you or your wife, on the, as the case may be, is going to have a baby. But they had a baby. They had Isaac. Isaac was born. Fulfillment of the promise of God in very small beginning form, but a fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham as part of the larger promise and purpose of God in the world. And then as a time went along, Abram, Abraham sent his servant back to get a wife for Isaac. We talked about that just a little few weeks ago. Isaac married Rebekah when he was 40 years of age. Genesis chapter 25 uh, and verse 21 talks about the, uh, the importance of Isaac and how he prayed. He was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. Now, a little further in the account, it says that the twins were born when she was 60. So this was not a one-time Isaac prayed because Rebekah couldn't have a baby, and God said, all right, let's do this. And no, it was 20 years of praying for his wife, and God intervened on her behalf. And when Isaac was 60 years of age, Jacob and Esau were born. A part of the plan and purpose of God to have a people that were his own people, a national people through whom would come the Messiah who had been promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Physical circumstances cannot deter God's promise. I suspect that perhaps there are some of you facing circumstances in your life that you think may be this is going to keep me from fulfilling what it is that God wants me to do in his plan and purpose. Where do I have my place? Where do I have my part? These physical limitations keep me from that. I want you to know that doesn't stop God. Don't give in to the kind of thinking that says, if I have this, 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 or this situation physically, it's going to mean I can't honor God. A dear friend of many of ours just recently went home to heaven. Martha was a receptionist at our Yorktown campus for uh, quite some time, was just one of the sweetest, most gracious people you'd ever meet. Most people did not know she had cancer because she didn't talk about it unless you were close and asked. She died just a few weeks ago in her 50s, and some would say, well, how does that fit into God's plan? I tell you this, I've never met anybody, and I've been in ministry a while, I've never met anybody who died with more grace and with a, with a sweeter testimony of love for Christ and commitment to God's will in her life than Martha Bennis. God used her to touch the lives of people that would likely not have been touched in that way had he not permitted that particular malady to afflict her. It took her home. She's home in heaven. She's completely healed and healthy and whole. Physical circumstances cannot deter God's promise, even when they end in death, which to us is the end. But to God... It's a precious thing in the sight of God when his saints come home. And he uses 
even what we consider to be the worst outcome to brighten his glory. Physical circumstances cannot deter God's promise. Secondly, personal history cannot derail God's promise. Now, I can kind of go through this one quickly because we talked about it just a a couple of weeks ago. I made this statement back then. Your personal history doesn't have to define you. That's true. But more than that, your personal history cannot derail God's promise. Remember all the things that were true back when we talked about that? Isaac and Rebekah had favored children. That's a really bad idea, okay? In case you weren't here that week and and you have kids, having favorites among your kids is really bad. Now, when, when my kids were little, I used to tell them all they were my favorite. We'd walk down the mall together. I mean, I had four kids, so I could only do this two at a time, but I would walk down the mall with them and I would just say to them, squeezing the hand of the one I love, and they'd all peek over to see if the other one's hand was getting squeezed too, which of course it was. But eventually, and it was always, you know, YMF, you're my favorite. They knew what that meant. And they, of course, eventually figured out that they were all my favorite. But you can't genuinely have favorites. It always ends bad. Jacob schemed to get Esau's birthright. What a rat. It was a bowl of stew, for crying out loud. Okay, Esau spurned his birthright for a bowl of stew, but Jacob used soup to steal his brother's birthright. Come on. Rebekah helped Jacob plot to steal the blessing of Isaac. None of that had to happen. God had already said the older will serve the younger. God would have taken care of that. Your personal history cannot derail God's promise. It cannot keep God from carrying out what he intends to do through you. I talk to people all the time who say, I don't know, there's just so much mess in my background. I just don't see how God could use me. That's because your view of what God can and cannot do is too small. God can take horrible circumstances and has a unique and unfathomable ability to turn them around and accomplish his will even with that. Personal history can't derail God's promise. Okay, can we go to chapter 31 now (laughs) for point three? Man's schemes cannot overcome God's promise. Chapter 31, the first couple of verses. Now, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Laban knew where his meal ticket was coming from. Laban had talked to Jacob. He told him, listen, I know it's the blessing of God on your life that's allowing me to become so wealthy. 
Jacob went there. He met Laban. He served for seven years for Rachel because he, he loved her so much. And Pastor Sean, you know, gave us that whole romantic verse. It was seemed like but uh, a brief time because of the love he had for her. And then he ended up marrying Leah that night instead. And so then he was able to marry Rachel, and he worked another seven years to pay off that debt, as it were. And then he worked another six years. We'll, we'll get the cumulative total here in a minute. But he worked another six years for the flocks that would become his, and all of it was filled with schemes. But at this point in time, beginning of chapter 31, all of a sudden Laban's attitude begins to change. He no longer favors Jacob like he did. And Laban's sons are thinking to themselves, wait a minute, this guy is getting all these flocks and all these herds. How is he growing so large? And we're not going to have anything left. There was the trickery back in chapter 29 related to Jacob's wives. There were livestock controversies. That was your wealth back in the day, right? If you had lots of flocks and herds, you had lots of wealth. Chapter 30 is another one of those things where people uh, invest in what are assumed cultural things. Oh, if you do this, this will happen. Kind of like the, the mandrakes that Pastor Sean explained. They thought that was something that helped with fertility, same thing with the, the pieces of poplar that were stripped bare and all of that that you see in chapter 30. If you've been reading along as we go, you came across that and probably thought, what in the world? It's the same kind of thing. Culturally, people thought if we do this, this will happen, etc., etc. What was happening was God was blessing Jacob immensely. But there were controversies continually over the livestock. Chapter 31 and verse 7, as Jacob is talking to Leah and Rachel to say, listen, we got to leave. He says, your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. So in those 20 years, he changed his wages 10 times. He'd been messing with them, trying to do all he could to get everything out of him that he could get out of him. But man's schemes cannot overcome God's promise. Because at the end of verse 7, Jacob acknowledges, but God did not permit him to harm me. And down to verse 11, the, this is Jacob explaining to his wives what had happened. Jacob, the angel of the Lord said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. The scheming of man cannot overcome God's promise. Are people messing with you? Are there circumstances in your life where people are mistreating you? Is there somebody at work that is just a royal pain in the neck that you just, no matter how hard you try, you cannot get this person to get along with you? Is there some family member that's causing you no end of trouble? None of that can overcome God's promise to use you for his glory in this life and to honor his name. It can't happen. Number four, family tension, which if I had to put a, a, 
a theme over top of this chapter. I mean, this whole part of the account, but this chapter in particular, it would be family tension. Because Jacob has now come to his wives and he has said, we've got to go. Your father is not looking at me like he used to. We've got to get out of here. So verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons on and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired and paid in Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. Well, that wasn't necessary, and that'll come back to cause trouble here briefly. But Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Secret departure. Jacob secretly left. Rachel stole from her father, stole the family gods. So she's still in this wavering thing. Remember, Pastor Sean talked about how she had she was wanted to trust this thing with the mandrakes, the fertility fruit or whatever, and and uh, and yet then she also prayed. So she's in this learning process of learning to trust God, and here she's going back to you know I'm going to grab a couple of these household gods and take them along because you just never know. And then there's this confrontation, and, and for really the rest of this chapter, we have this confrontation between Jacob and Laban. So on the third day after they left, verse 22 says, uh, Laban took his kinsmen with him and pursued Jacob and his whole clan and flocks for seven days and came after him to the country of Gilead. And then God came to Laban and said, do not speak ill do not speak badly. In fact, do not say anything to him, either good or bad, when you talk to Jacob. And back and forth, the rest of this chapter goes. Back and forth. Laban accuses Jacob. You've, you've stolen the household gods. Which is kind of in and of itself, uh, really, a, I mean, Jake, uh, Jacob said, well, go through everything. Go through everything. Whoever you find your stuff with, bring it out here. They'll accept the punishment. Uh, I, I don't have anything that's yours. He didn't know she took them. So they're going through everything. He and his servants, Laban and his servants, going through everything, trying to find everything. They come into where Rachel is, and she has taken the household gods and put them under her, her dress and her robe and everything. I said, sorry, Dad, I can't get up. It's that time of the month. Well, you know, any time a daughter says that to her dad, he says, okay, fine. <laughs> And that's what happened. And so he left and he didn't find them. And then Jacob said, so did you find anything? I mean, what is your problem? Back and forth this thing goes. Unbelievable. I didn't take your stuff. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Did you find it? No, I didn't really find anything, but I know you took it. No, back, right? Can you, you can hear this tension going on. So they get this tentative agreement after all this back and forth. Jacob finally says, listen, and he, he kind of lays it all out. You tricked me about my wives. You changed my wages. You've treated me unfairly. They finally get this tentative agreement. And from verse 43 down through 55, and I'm not going to read this whole thing but I, or, or any of it, but I want you to, to look at it. And what they have is kind of a just tentative agreement. Like, okay, we're drawing a line in the sand. I won't go to your side. You don't come to my side, and we'll be okay. 
And so off they go. Is your family situation difficult? Are you single and you want to be married? Are you married? Well, um, is there drama in your family? Is the future uncertain as it relates to your family situation? Do you have just stuff in your family and you're thinking, how in the world is God ever going to use me? I'm, I'm telling you, family drama does not overcome God's promise. Family tension is not a problem to God. I've kind of hurried through this because I want to, I want to make a connection for you today, and I want you to find your way to Hebrews chapter 6. And I've been trying to make sure to keep this prominent in your thinking because as we go through this story in Genesis, this is not just a collection of accounts about a family uh, that was growing into a nation. It is certainly that, but it is a far larger thing than just a collection of assorted weird stories. This is the account of God establishing his people through whom as a nation would come the Messiah who would be the hope and the promise of the entire world, the blessing that would come to all men that had been promised to Abraham. Hebrews chapter 6, this is what I want you to take home with you today. God's promise to Abraham is your hope in Christ. If you're in Christ, you are part of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And all this stuff that we see in the life of, of Isaac and Jacob and Esau and all these 12 children will be 13 before long in the account, born to one man but four different uh, women and all of this. Just, it's so out of whack Look at verse 13 of Hebrews 6. When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the, the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God's promise depended on God alone. From the very beginning, God said to Eve... Your descendant is going to crush the head of the serpent. It will bruise his heel, but it, he will crush his head. And all through the Old Testament, we've watched this develop. And we've watched as God called out Abraham and then gave him a son in his old age and then gave him a son, or two sons actually, in his older age and now has given that son of promise 12 sons who would become the the tribal chiefs of the 12 tribes of Israel through whom the Messiah would come. 
all of this has to do with God's promise being fulfilled and his promise depended only on him. You remember way back in the story of Abraham, when God said to Abraham, I want you to set up a, an oath, a covenantal ceremony. I want you to get these animals and I want you to split them in half and put them on either side of this pathway. And then when the sun was going down, the scriptures say God put Abraham in a deep sleep and God alone walked between the pieces signifying from the very beginning, this covenant I'm making depends on me, not on you. This depends on me and what I will accomplish. It cannot be delayed, deterred, derailed, derailed, diminished, whatever good D word you can come up with. You cannot thwart God's promise because God's promise depends on God. When we swear... People in a courtroom put their hand on the Bible and they swear, and we swear to something. We swear to God or whoever it is to confirm, I promise you I will do this because we swear to somebody who's greater than us. There is nobody greater than God, so God swears by himself, I will fulfill my plan and purpose. His promise is sure because his character is unchanging. When God desired, I'm in verse 17 again, to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. God's promise is sure because God's character is unchanging. God is who God is. That'll never change, and because of that, God's promise will never change. And so where you fit in the plan and purpose of God doesn't change just because of some external circumstance. Nothing can thwart the promise of God. Let me start in verse 18 again. By two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, this hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as forerunner on our behalf. Our hope is as secure as the character of God. God's promise depended on God alone and throughout history as we have seen it even thus far in the book of Genesis. And as we watch it through the rest of the Old Testament, when God says you're going into slavery, they went into slavery. When God says you're coming back out, they came back out. When God said you're going into captivity in Babylon, they went into captivity. When God brought them out, he brought them out. And when God said, I'm calling out a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and he began to call Gentiles to join the people of God, he did that. Despite anything that anybody tried to do, nothing can thwart God's promise. His promise is sure because his character is unchanging and our hope is as secure as God's character. As you think about the stuff in your life that has 
at least in your mind, hindered what God has wanted to do with you, there's nothing that keeps God from doing what God intends to do in your life. Not family stuff, not your personal history, not the scheming of other people. None of that stuff can hinder God from doing what God intends to do in your life and through you as part of his plan and purpose in the world. It can happen. So a couple of thoughts to take with you. I want to challenge you today, if you're here and have never trusted in Christ as your only hope of salvation, that's where you fit in all of this promise that God's been talking about. Genesis 3.15, when he promised to send one who would crush the serpent. He was talking about Jesus. When we, we saw in other places where uh, God talked about your descendant, in your descendant will all the nations of the earth be blessed. He was talking about Jesus. And when it comes to the New Testament and people finally realize Jesus is the one, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed one of God who came to fulfill God's promise to all mankind, and he made it possible for people to be right in their relationship with God, though we were separated from him by our sin. You need to place your trust and hope in the gospel of Christ. You need to recognize that the only thing right now that separates you from God is your own sin. And you confess your sin, you repent of your sin, you turn to God, you believe in what the Bible says about Jesus, that he came to this earth, that he died on the cross, that he paid the penalty for your sin, that he was buried and he actually came back to life again. People saw him in various places and in various settings to verify what God had said about him. And He declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So if I trust in him, if I come to him and repent of my sin and trust in Christ as my only hope of salvation, I'm I'm slotted into this, this people of God. And I have a place and I have a purpose and I have a reason now for why I'm here. I'm not just filling space. I'm God's got me here for a reason, and he's going to use me to accomplish what he is wanting to accomplish in the world. So if you have never done that, I plead with you to trust in Christ today. Hang around after the service. Let me connect you with somebody who can sit down and show you how you can know your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven. You're part of the people of God. And man, what an incredible thing. Secondly, God's promise to carry you through is secure. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, I am convinced, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is in the process of working out in your life his plan and purpose and where you fit in his story. It is secure because God's character doesn't change. God's character is your anchor. Is your life a little windy? Is it tending to get off course? Are things uh, throwing distractions and disturbances to you and you feel like you're not heading in the right direction down the, the, the course that God has intended for you? Get connected to the anchor of your soul. Steadfast and sure, it says in Hebrews. God's character is your anchor. Who you are in Christ is your anchor, even when everything around you is completely in upheaval. 
just like it was for Jacob, just like it was for his family as he's being chased down by his father-in-law, as he's about to go and meet his brother who 20 years ago in the story threatened to kill him. Nothing can stop what God is intending to accomplish. But you've got to rest in him. You've got to trust in him. You've got to uh, recognize where I fit. I've got to trust that God knows what he's doing. We have an anchor, steadfast and sure, an anchor for our soul. God's character guarantees God's promise. I'm grateful to have a God who never changes, who is, whose love for me is unending and unaltering, and he will carry me through until he has accomplished what he intends to in my life, and then he'll take me home to heaven. No doubt, no question, no wondering whether that's going to be true or not. Oh, I hope you have that confidence today. I'd love to talk to you if you don't. The team's going to come up here, and we're going to sing a song as we close. Uh, And I'm going to lead in prayer, but, boy, I hope that uh, if you're not certain of your relationship to Christ or maybe you're just feeling in a lot of upheaval and there's a lot of wind blowing on your lake right now, I'd love to have a chance to talk with you. We have people on our prayer team who will sit down with you and spend a few minutes and pray with you and try and encourage your heart. Uh, Come on and do that. Uh, by all means, after this service, we'd love to speak with you. Let's, uh, let's pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. Father in heaven, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you have seen fit to include us as in your purpose. Lord, it's an amazing thing to me that the, the God of the universe, with the plan and purpose to call men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation would see fit to include me in that process. And that what you're doing in my life makes me part of this grand scheme uh, for time and eternity that you planned out long before uh, time began. I'm so very grateful for that. I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, some of whom are... uh, They've got some wind blowing in their lives, and they need to get a hold of that anchor today. I pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. I pray for the the one or more that may be here this morning that has never trusted in Christ, has never uh, made sure their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would bring uh, such conviction to their heart that they just wouldn't even leave here before they get that taken care of. I'm grateful that your character is what guarantees our security and guarantees your promise because you never change. We honor you for that today, and we thank you for Jesus, the fulfillment of your promise to all men. Uh, In his name we pray. Amen.